You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, you just never know who you're going to hear on TPC week to week. I don't even know, and I didn't know about tonight's show until earlier this afternoon. But boy, do we have a very interesting hour of talk radio coming your way starting right now. Welcome to the program. James Edwards along with Keith Alexander this Saturday evening. November the 18th, year of our Lord, 2023, we're uh, coming up on Thanksgiving in the Christmas season, so it's going to be a festive time, and to help kick all of that off tonight is former United States Representative Steve Stockman of Texas. I had the chance to uh, talk with Steve the last uh, today and yesterday, and his story, truly uh, unbelievable, it's an incredible and inspiring story. He has served in Congress twice, uh, on two separate occasions, nearly two decades apart and in two different districts. And uh, there's enough in between those two times and what's happened since to fill a book, and we'll do the best we can to give you the Cliff's Notes right now. Congressman Steve Stockman out of Texas, our guest. Uh, good evening, Congressman. How are you? Thank you for having me on. It's a, it was a beautiful day here, so I don't know what it's like where everybody else is listening, but we had a wonderful day here. Same, uh, same here, my friend. Uh, same as well. A great time of year, and uh, again, uh, bringing family close, and uh, it's just a real honor to be able to talk to you tonight. Uh, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about your career, some of the issues we were talking about yesterday, and uh, I mean, for the amount of time you were in Congress, you were there on two separate occasions for some really eventful uh, occurrences, I guess you could say. But let's first talk about that. Uh, as I mentioned, elected in two separate districts, nearly 20 years in between terms. Uh, your first victory in 1994 was a major upset. I want folks to try to wrap their minds around this. You were 38 years old at the time. You ran your campaign out of your garage, and you defeated yep. a 42-year-old Democratic incumbent. So this guy you were running against was had been in Congress four years older, four years longer than you had even been alive. And uh, as you shared with me, he had been in Congress at the time for one third the amount of time that Texas had been a state. You were not supposed to win that race. No, no. In fact, uh, I had some moderate Republicans come down and George Bush was running at the time. And they said, you Ryan's going to really ruin everything. Uh, you're going to turn out the Democrat vote by running. And they tried to talk me out of it. And I, I almost got talked out of it. But then I had a Vietnam veteran who later i found was highly decorated came and he says you can't let these guys push you around this is what you're fighting against and i thought he's right so i i ran and then um we won but we really won because of the ideas and beliefs that i promoted and it was um really uh, i think we had 22 to 2500 people helping us so we had a lot of volunteers. and uh, you got outspent about you got outspent about 2,500 to one as well, right? Yeah, well, 12 to one, yeah. And, and it was really amazing <laughs> because yeah. we we couldn't afford postage, so we delivered all our campaign literature by hand. I, I uh, told you today I was uh, 
pleasantly surprised. I can't say shocked. I mean, we have a listening audience that through the internet uh, all over the country. But when I sent out uh, an email this morning to the list saying that you were going to be on the program tonight, I was really excited to see how many people were themselves very excited to have you on and how many people who had shared stories about you, especially listeners in Texas, some of whom who had uh, voted and uh, supported you. Uh, one gentleman said that uh, in 1994, he remembers you holding up pictures of aborted babies against your Democratic op- opponent and doing real clever things with a with a newspaper. Uh, a newspaper yes, campaign yes, that's that you true. kind of uh, tell us about that. Well, it's Republicans never know how to frame the issue. In fact, we're losing abortion because, frankly, 15 weeks, 90 percent of abortions happen within 15 weeks. It's the same as Paris. I mean, it's France and it's actually longer than Portugal. And yet you, you have Republicans saying this is a pro-life bill. It's really not. It's very deceiving. It's deceiving. And I think that if you're going to go ahead and do that, which I disagree with, is that you should then at least frame it and say, look, we're we're the same as Paris, France. We're advocating the same. They don't know how to frame an issue. Republicans are horrible at messaging. And uh, we were fortunate. We did some really great messaging, uh, and we had a lot of fun doing it. And um, it was – I mean, I could take the whole hour just talking about how we did campaigns. But one uh, exactly. Thing we did, I mean – Pardon me. Go ahead. No, one thing we did is my opponent voted for pedophiles. This is back. People got to realize all this stuff happened before what were happening. We were kind of a precursor. We were the canary in the mine, and he voted for pedophiles. So we got we got in trouble for this, but we cut out little things about his votes and what he did, and we put it in the trick or treat bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, upset. see, this is the kind of clever stuff that I've heard about you, clever campaign uh, tactics, and it was effective. Now, we were talking as well. Each of the questions that I uh, w- w- was talking with you about in our uh, in our pre-interview, you, you said could have filled a book. Uh, and I want to move as quickly as we can. I'm already starting to sweat a little bit. I'm looking at the clock. We're already 15 minutes into the hour, so we got to, we've got to make haste here. But I just was just covering quickly your your first win was a major upset in 1994. You defeated Congressman Jack Brooks. He'd been in there for 42 years. He was the chairman of the very powerful House Judiciary Committee, which oversaw the uh, which still oversees the DOJ and the FBI. And uh, anyway, so you get elected. And during your first tenure in Congress, which was from 1995 until 1997, remember, ladies and gentlemen, he went to Congress twice in two separate districts, two decades apart. But during his first stint there, uh, you were there during the Waco siege. And this is something that still captivates the public. Uh, You were very vocally critical of the Clinton administration's handling of that uh, event. What do you remember about it and what were your complaints? Well, as I pointed out, uh, one, by the way, Jack Burks was the first of many people threatening to kill me. And uh, I told him it wasn't a good way to treat your constituents. If you killed all your constituents, you couldn't win the election. <laughs> this was the guy you were running uh, against, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy that you defeated. He also said, he goes, he goes, I control the DOJ and the FBI. I'm going to get you, and you won't know I did it. And then I was like, whoa. That's not a nice thing to say. And ironically <laughs> now, his like daughter sometimes runs as a Republican, which I find a little bit odd. Um, she's probably no more a Republican than I'm a Democrat. But no, uh, the thing is, is that uh, we, we, I was upset because to me, it really looked like uh, the DOJ under Janet Reno was trying to push an agenda. In fact, they do this frequently 
they'll do something. And uh, Obama did this too, where he, he took Sandy Hook and turned it into a political thing, which is really sad because people get killed all over the world and you don't want to turn it into a politicizing. And that's exactly why they went in there. Uh, David Koresh went into town all the time by himself. And if they wanted to get him, all they had to do was arrest him at a store. They knew all this, and yet they went in there with this big show. They thought they were going to have a TV show. And it, it frightened the people inside, and, and it also made uh look like Koresh was right. And uh, But but there should have never been that decision made, Janet Reno's decision. And um, it cost lots of life. And then there were other people, of course, that saw that and, and really got angry at the government. So we need to, everybody needs to tone it down a little bit. But right now, the DOJ, as you know, is running full Borg wild, arresting uh, any any Obamas or Biden's political opponents, including me. And, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But one of the things you said about the Waco siege that really struck home with me was that this was just a naked uh, exhibition of state power. Uh, it was an attack on the right of Americans to self-defense and an yep. attempt to take away their Second Amendment rights. And that it, that was something that was so key, what you just said, that David Koresh would go into town all the time. Any FBI agent could have picked him up at any time. They didn't have to roll tanks through this building and, and firebomb all of these families. Uh, and you said that uh, this, the way they have politicized law enforcement is never a pathway to freedom, and it certainly hasn't abated since then. No, in fact, what people don't understand, I, I, our, our friend in the talk radio keeps saying, Oh, it's the only the top guys. And I can personally tell you that's not true. They changed the policy. People don't realize they don't hire the people that you see, on, you know, like you used to see in the old TV show like Dragnet or FBI or whatever. They change your policy in hiring what's called diversity and soft science. So people w- that are from women's studies, the woman that came to my door was like, I, I, her, her degree was like in socialism or social uh, social work. She belonged to the National Socialist Party. She, her parents were from India. She, she was very aloof to the principles of our founding fathers and really to the whole thing. So when you, when you do that kind of hiring, I told someone it's like having NPR working the uh, Justice Department. And it's really, really uh, frightening what they're able to do. And they're just they're telling these people to go do it, and they think it's in their job to do it. And they're, they're, the judges are, are, are obviously picked as far radical judges. You can't indict a president with 90, 90 felonies, you know, within a very short period of time <laughs> for the election. And that Jack Smith, by the way, the same one that went after me and also the one after our, our friend, which I hope all your listeners will write him, is, his name is uh, Senator John Woods. He's in Bastrop, and uh, if you could drop him a line, that'd be great. But he's also wrong. And he's also there with some J6ers, too, by the way. We're going to get into all of that because, as you said, I mean, maybe, I don't know if it started at Waco. Waco was certainly a catalyst. uh, But uh, the way that law enforcement has been politicized is uh, certainly very concerning, and they seem to only be turning up the dial. You see all these indictments. It looks like only conservative uh, Republicans are the ones that ever violate any sort of campaign finance laws, or Donald Trump surely was the only corrupt president we've ever had. I'm not saying he was uh, corrupt, but, I mean, what they're saying, he's the only one that's ever sort of uh, gotten this kind of treatment. But I'm a, I'm a congressman, and we got to see classified documents. But you, it's called a skiff. You couldn't take it out of the skiff. Yet Biden, as a senator, had those boxes 
uh, and he didn't turn them over for years, and he's not even supposed to have them. And he didn't have them secure. They keep talking about, oh, well, Trump didn't have them secure. Trump had Secret Service in a very uh, protective house. He had them in a garage, classified documents. And now they're saying, well, he didn't do anything wrong because Trump uh, tried to block it. That's just such nonsense. It's so clearly political. And uh, Biden is guilty of sin of that. I mean, he, and it's pretty clear he's selling those documents to the Chinese or whoever the higher bidder was. Let me ask you this, uh, Congressman, and this is, again, something that's a current issue, but an issue that you dealt with as well. As I said, the four years you were in Congress, there was a lot going on that people can relate to now. Uh, so you've got um, certainly an informed opinion. The so-called government shutdowns, uh, this is something that you see in the in the news all the time now. Government shutdown, the risk of government shutdown, we're kicking the can, we're going to do a 30-day continuance and so on and so forth. But there was that... Uh, as the press made it out to be a very infamous government shutdown in 1995 uh, to 96. And you were a member of Congress at that time. You can tell the audience exactly what a government shutdown is and isn't. What's really going on when they talk about this? They, they don't shut down government. I'll tell you what was more frightening is when the government shut down businesses, it is a much more dramatic effect on the There economy. we go. People lost their jobs. People got sick. They had high alcoholism. They had high suicide rates. The, the mental and even people don't know this, but India they had two to three hundred million people. You don't have over a billion, but we started going to uh, we're short on food and stuff. This is something that uh, we we should have been concerned about when the government exercised that kind of power. Yet when, when it's the government shut down, they they lose their minds. And my wife works at NASA. None of uh, she's never lost her job. She's never lost a paycheck during the government sh shutdown. So this is just uh, hair on fire for no reason. I, I can't remember the percentage, but it's, it's I think above 90% of the government doesn't shut down. It stays open. So it's, it's really a-, a So bar. it's all just, it's a media manufactured uh, exaggeration. And I loved what you just did. You're talking about, hey, I'm more concerned when the government shuts down businesses, you're talking about COVID, yes? Absolutely. They abused that. They took it upon themselves. You know, you give a thimble full of power to a bureaucrat. Next thing you know, he, he's declared himself king and, and starts exercising as such. I mean, they, they didn't want to give it up either, particularly in California. Newsom just didn't want to give up that power. And uh, he continued to exercise the power of forcing people to do things. I'm just shocked at how in California they just accept the uh, authoritarians, you know, just like, so yeah. what? You know? it, 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 you couldn't help but notice the difference in how COVID, uh, the, you know, that, that two-year period, that very bizarre two-year period uh, from March of 2020 through, well, I don't know if it was quite two years, 2021 for sure, well, maybe nearly two years, yes. Uh, certainly it was navigated very differently between the red and the blue states, was it not? Yeah, and, and then, of course, NPR and those kind of guys try to make it, go, oh, Republican states, more people died. Well, that's just an absolute lie. Uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, not only did they die at a higher rate, they were putting sick people, elderly people, in non-infected uh, elderly homes in which they, they should have been charged with a crime because it's actually germ warfare. They should have gone to prison for that, and no one was ever held accountable. And it was a big lie when the New York governor said, oh, you know, we didn't have any room. Trump, if people recall, 
offered a huge ship with, uh, I think, a thousand beds or something on the ship. He never, the governor, uh, Coma, never used that ship. He could have put all the LA people that were sick into that into that room, and they did. I mean, out of that ship, and they never did. That's a great point. Now, I, I want to uh, circle back very quickly to this talk of shutdown. You compared, hey, the government's so concerned about shutting down, but we're more concerned about businesses being shut down, not the bureaucracy. Well, you in wrote schools that, and uh, churches, both times you they were, shut down churches, and they, but yeah, they kept strip right. clubs open. And you're certainly getting more hands-on, pardon the the the, the, yeah. the phrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. He, uh, <laughs> James is here every night, Excuse five me, and folks. seven. Tip your waitress on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> but you did write that. We try to have a good time, too, here. We uh, uh, Anyway. But uh, <laughs> both times you were in Congress, you told me that the so-called government shutdowns, uh, you were there in uh, 95 and 96, and again, in uh, the mid-2000s when there was another so-called shutdown, but you, you told me that all essential government activities continued and checks to people right. on government benefits continued. No government bureaucrats lost jobs or wages as a result of the shutdowns, and most of the government continues to operate when it is quote-unquote shut down. So all this stuff about shutdowns just just clickbait media. By stuff, the right? way, I mean, people don't realize part. that it shuts down every weekend. <laughs> and we live through the weekend without the government. You know, Touché. actually, Touché. we're in such dire shape financially that they should actually just lay all those, you know, I hate to say this, but even my wife would be laid off. But all these people, a lot of these people, we could cut back. You know, corporations have to do that. I don't care, you know, even Facebook, which has a very minimal amount of effort to keep that website going. And yet they had they cut back. Uh, our our government has never really cut back, and you, and you need to do it. You need to trim the the waste and, and, and abuse and fraud, and you got to do it. It's just natural that you need that, and that's why free enterprise works because it it rings out the waste and the fraud and everything. And I just I marvel at uh, government always continues to grow. You never you know what's the old joke? It says it's never. Nothing so permanent as a temporary government job, you know. <laughs> there, there was a guy in the back. Of a, I guess that's not funny. It's true. Yeah, and, and there was a guy in the back of a cab. He just came to D.C. for the first time. He was looking up all the buildings, and he goes, "Wow, there's so many buildings." He goes, "How many people work here?" And the cab driver goes, "About half." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Steve, this is uh, Keith Alexander. I'm intrigued about government shutdowns. Is there any real fear behind the left's uh, response to the possibility of shutting down the government? Is there part of it that they are afraid of, or is it all just uh, a tempest in a teapot, a, you know, alarmism that they're trying to whip up? With well, I'll, I'll give it And, Steve, secret, as you answer uh, that? Pardon? I was well, just going to say, as you answer that question— I'll tell you this, the Go Republicans ahead. in the caucus, their main concern was on a shutdown, you know, we're not going to get reelected. And that's just this fault. It's never borne out. If you go back, by the way, someone said every time you go to office, talk when the government shuts down and go, oh, quit, quit blowing me kisses. Thank you so much. But um, <laughs> if you go back to that, those years, we didn't lose the seats they predicted. It was all angst for nothing and uh but that's the problem 
you have a lot of guys up there worried about the press. The press is never going to be on our side. I don't, you know, it's not going to happen. So you need to quit worrying about the press and do the right thing. And and I said good policy is good politics. Yeah, exactly. That, that was actually the question, question I was trying to, to Oh, go ahead. I think he did. Well, and I was going to ask you the fear that the Republicans have of losing and you went right into that anyway, but that was a great question, Keith and and the other thing that uh, struck me about what you said so far is how they're getting a different type of person into federal law enforcement. And a corollary to that is the military. You know, you've got people in the military that are just not traditional candidates at all. Uh, and no, in having fact, the trouble now trying to get people in. Yeah, in fact, the person that was really instrumental in doing that and getting rid of people because it's very it's very easy for the president or hierarchy to get rid of someone. All they say is unfit for command. You don't, you know, that definition is pretty broad. And what happened is 1,100, I think it was 1,100 under uh, Obama, top people that were very good professionals got eliminated. And under Biden, it's just about as many. And it was really sad. This one guy, and he got, they, they fired him. I'm trying to remember which base it was. And his wife was working there. And she objected, so they fired her too. And they had like 38 years, I think, of service, and they were just godly conservatives, and that's why they got fired. I mean, they, they just it, they wouldn't go on the explanation why they got rid of them. And it's quite clear they want. Oh, I'll let you go. <laughs> you hey, listen, this guy, this guy, he's a congressman. Former congressman. No, don't stop unless we tell you to. <laughs> no, no, listen, yes, please. Uh, but he, he knows how media works. You hear the music? We don't even know. We've been on the air 20 years. We don't know to stop talking when the music starts. <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We are halfway through a riveting, spellbinding interview with uh, former congressman Steve Stockman. And we'll continue it right after this. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Skip Kelly. Patients and staff are evacuating Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, with a few remaining doctors attending to those too vulnerable to leave as the Israeli military reportedly ordered staff to evacuate, a claim disputed by Israel. Accusations by Israel allege that Hamas uses Al-Shifa for military purposes, a claim denied by Hamas and medical officials. The UN is urging Israel to provide access to the medical center for an investigation into the conflicting claims. The situation raises concerns about the impact on medical care for vulnerable individuals in Gaza. House Speaker Mike Johnson is keeping his word. Promising to release more footage from the riot at the Capitol back on January 6th of 2021. 44,000 hours of video will be released in waves over the next few months. Johnson on X writing, truth and transparency are critical. This decision will provide millions of Americans, criminal defendants, public interest organizations, and the media an ability to see for themselves what happened that day, rather than having to rely upon the interpretation of a small group of government officials. I'm Laura Winters. The gunman responsible for killing a security guard at a New Hampshire psychiatric hospital before being fatally shot by a state trooper has been identified Saturday as John Medore, a transient who had spent time living in the area, according to New Hampshire Attorney General John Formella. The 33-year-old used a 9mm handgun to fatally shoot Bradley Haas in the lobby of the New Hampshire hospital in Concord. Haas, a former chief of police and army veteran, was working security at the time, and Formella praised him as a hero 
who died protecting patients, staff, and visitors at the hospital. Authorities have not yet identified the trooper who killed Medor, citing agency protocol. The Thanksgiving travel season kicked off Friday, and it's anticipated to be one of the busiest in history. AAA projects that over 55 million Americans will travel 50 miles or more for Thanksgiving this year, marking a slightly over 2% increase from the previous year. This is USA News. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. That's Gentlemen, it's not like this that remind me why we do what we do here. And this is just a fascinating interview. I'm fascinated by it. I think you will be and are as well. Former United States Congressman Steve Stockman out of Texas. So we spent the first half hour, and I'm looking at the clock again, and we've got to make haste because uh, I'm a little less than half of what I wanted to cover through uh, of what I want to cover with Steve, and we're a little more than halfway uh, out of time. So, but just to recap. A historic upset. Now, I'm not saying it's historic because he was an underdog. Uh, underdogs win from time to time. Uh, but a 38-year-old beating a 42-year-old Democratic incumbent, that's something. And um, so we've talked a little bit about uh, his first election. He was in Congress during the Waco siege, during a so-called shutdown. He gave us a little bit of information about that. And I want to move forward now uh, into uh, the, his second term in office. But before I do, we established, Steve, that, look, you were a conservative who got into Congress, you stood up, you spoke out, and you didn't back down. And as a result, during your first term, or maybe not as a result, maybe it was a coincidence, people can draw their own conclusions, but nevertheless, during your first term, a federal court ordered the boundaries of 13 Texas House districts to be redrawn, and you ended up losing your reelection in a squeaker, uh, fifty-three to forty-seven. And then twenty well, years no, later, we're, though, we're, you get reelected. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I'm back. Back on that real quick. It was three districts, but it impacted thirteen, and the suit had been going on for ten ah, years. Yes. And and the thing is, is that uh, we won in November, and then uh, the voter fraud was so horrendous in the runoff; it was really appalling. Uh, that we lost in the runoff, and even then it was hard for them to steal that much. So you're right. Go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. No, well, the, the other thing I was going to say, uh, Steve, is that voter fraud has been around for a long time. In fact, that was the purpose of the Voting Rights Act of 65, to mm-hmm. allow that type of thing to happen. You yep. know, uh, the, and th- this is really, uh, you know, 
it's nothing unusual. But I wonder, you know, where was the judiciary? Were, were they endorsing all this, uh, redistricting you out of a position? Well, you got to remember, I defeated the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, as, <laughs> as, as, as the one that when they arrested me, uh, for real, uh, well, they, well, I should back up a second. They threatened me to throw me in prison back in 96, I believe it was. And, uh, and then when they finally arrested me, they were so happy. The guy said, he comes out saying, I hate the wall. And the guy in the front seat said, you defeated my dad's friend. And I was like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a criminal case. You guys are talking politics. And I joked with him and I said, so after this, fellas, you're going to go arrest Hillary? <laughs> and they didn't respond. But, well, um, there was something about that that I, I wanted to bring up. I mean, because you were on uh, the Whitewater Banking Investigations Committee, if anybody can remember that far back in the mid-'90s. And you, you were Clinton's part right. yeah, investigating uh, Bill and Hillary, and uh, you said they answered the, the favor. <laughs> Not only were your, was your district lines redrawn, they added more Democrats to your district. You lost in a runoff by, by a couple of points. Uh, but they were bringing in all kinds of operatives into your district there. Oh, they did. They were from and, and all by over the way, the, were... go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, but continue with your thought. But you were on a plane back in uh, uh, during that time in the mid '90s, and on the plane back to your district, you ran into James Carville on the plane, and you asked him a question. What did he say? Well, it was funny. We call him Serpent Head. In fact, his wife calls him that. As you know, she was a Republican consultant. He's a Democrat. And I, and I said, well, James, what are you doing uh, here? And he goes, I'm here to defeat you. That's why I'm here. I'm going to defeat you. <laughs> and <laughs> that's I, a good impersonation. Said, Liz, lizard man. Sounds just like it. Yeah. And I said, well, James, that's really flattering that you would take the time out to come see me. <laughs> I said, bit, and Patty <laughs> so says Clinton, I'm a bit of a, huh? Well, the, Clint, the Clintons didn't forget about you. They sent their top guy down there. No, and, uh, a lot no, of other no. people as well. They redrew, your lines got redrawn, and then there, there, there he was, and there they were. There's and a so book you, lose, you, lose, Bill, you lose by a scant margin. Yeah, and Bill Clinton wrote a book in one of his books. He talked about how I was his nemesis, and then the Hill uh, said I was Obama's number one nemesis. So I think they got kind of tired of me. And it's so really unusual, too, James, that in uh, – in his Wikipedia article, it doesn't say anything about his uh, uh, service in government. Well, it, it, it gets to it, but it doesn't start there. It starts off just saying that you're a convicted felon. Right. I mean, it starts with the stuff that, um, yeah, of course. Well, that's Wikipedia. I mean, imagine you've got a By the way, do you know, do you know your people aren't aware of this, but there's bots on those Wikipedia things. I had oh, a friend. It's awful. Yeah, I had a friend who kept changing it. And the guy that was, that's a, he's a far leftist in, in actually in New Orleans. We dug it up and found out who he was. And he gets, he got, he would get text to his phone saying that stuff changes. He'd go in there and change it right back. So Wikipedia is exactly. actually very <laughs> We know. Uh, well, <laughs> Wikipedia, that's yeah, Wikipedia, there you go. All right, so uh, you mentioned being uh, a nemesis and not just one that opposed their policies, but one that was targeted by both the Clintons and Obama. So let's fast forward. I'm surprised you're alive. Under well, we'll talk about that yeah, in a second. Well, I mean, that, that was certainly right. on the table, <laughs> table I yeah. think. But the fast forwarding to your first term in office is uh, 1995 to 1997. You got elected in November of 1994. Right. Everybody gets sworn in in January of 97. So right. uh, then lines get redrawn. All of this stuff's going on. 
some vote fraud. You lose very narrowly re-election after the lines are redrawn and some more Democrats are dumped in your district. But then, almost 20 years later, you return to Congress in 2013. How does that happen? Connect the dots. We really got to move quickly here, but that is fascinating. I mean, number one, to be elected twice in separate times, but you almost went in separate generations and in two different districts. You're back in Congress in 2013. How did that happen? Well, again, we had just godly great people. And the problem is we, as Republicans, never organized. And um, my wife says I have a gift for organizing. And so we organized, again, a real big team. And um, out, out, we were outspent by one multi-multi-millionaire. And then we, we also defeated the dean of the Senate. And, uh, yeah, state Senate, I'm sorry. And, and, they, and the expenditures... Uh, against us were phenomenal, and again they said, "Hey, you can't win. You don't. Li- we didn't live in the district. You uh, don't have a campaign manager. You don't have a campaign consultant." And they went on the whole reason why I couldn't win, and then the headline said, uh, "I got reelected." It was really by the grace of God and and good hard work. And uh, I, I think more more Republicans can win in Democrat districts, but they they just they don't frame the issues right, and we're getting killed on this abortion stuff and. Uh, we need it. We need a good message, and I, I think there's a way to counter it, and uh, we're just not doing it. But anyhow, well, we're we won. Get in just a moment. <laughs> well, well, you won. I mean, you won twice, being certainly an outsider, someone who was definitely pushing against the system and its narrative, and you won twice. And uh, during your second tenure in Congress, 2013 to 2015. Uh, this was at the time, the first time was at the time of Waco. The second time was at the time of Sandy Hook. And you responded, you introduced a bill called the Safe Schools Act uh, or the Safe School Acts, which would have repealed the Gun-Free Zones Act. And you were quoted at the, uh, at the time as having said, uh, and I quote, by disarming qualified citizens and officials in schools, we have created a dangerous situation for our children. Uh, and so, and then again, you fast forward now, you have the Covenant School shooting here earlier this year in Nashville. Uh, you were ahead of this thing. You were right at the time, even in the face of Sandy Hook, when it seemed like gun control, gun control, or you know, what they call gun control, you know, obviously it's an attack gun on the grabbing. second. Gun grabbing. Yeah, <laughs> that attack on the Second Amendment is what it really is, and our constitutional freedoms and liberties. Uh, but you, well, you had know what the else we... tenacity <laughs> to, to, to come out and, and uh, introduce a bill like this even at that time when there was such a hysteria surrounding guns yeah not only that too we we knew we got word that uh, president obama was going to make sandy hook his vehicle so we we figured out a way again how to frame the issue and so we invited ted nugent to the state of the union and it just sucked the oxygen (laughs) out of obama's plan that guy is motor city madman he was amazing People don't know this. All the Democrats are criticizing. They'd come in and get their picture taken with them. It was so hilarious. And <laughs> He's been on this and, show. He's uh, larger than life. Yeah. He is. And he goes, you know how long? Now, first of all, he, uh, people probably don't know this. He may have changed, but he had not drank or smoked or did drugs. And that guy was, I guess he was in his 70s. I don't know how old Ted Nugent is now, but he went for 13 hours nonstop without eating or anything. And uh, at the very end, it was late at night, and MSNBC comes in there, and the guy's horrendous, starts calling him a child molester and everything. And Ted did what I always wanted to do but could never do. 
He goes, this is live on TV. He goes, I'm going to whoop your blankety blank butt, blankety blank, and kick you in. <laughs> and his wife goes, honey, I think we need to go now. <laughs> but it was just so marvelous. <laughs> I tell Ted, so I, I live my parents <laughs> you. You, you brought you brought him to the party. Well, uh, well, he, he's great on guns. I mean, I, I, I like Ted Nugent a lot. Yeah, but it, uh, but it, it one thing stepped we, all over his message. Uh, a Biden, uh, Obama's message. It was great. It, it worked. Well, another message that ahead. you shared, and I'd like to share it with the audience now, is that uh, you, you point out, and this is such a, a critical thing with the uh, issue of of second of the second amendment you, you you told me that there is little coverage or data collected on the situations during which guns protect and save lives the criminal for instance who runs off when a gun is pulled is not documented in any statistics and such incidents are certainly not covered by the media so anytime you have a gun incident the issue is always guns we got to take away the guns even though criminals who are going to commit murder certainly aren't going to be uh concerned about an extra gun law on the book. The only people who are going to be giving up their guns are law-abiding citizens. But that that's key. I mean, the times that guns save lives, you don't see any data on that and certainly no coverage. If on. you take the Democrat cities run by Democrats and you take those statistics out and do the rest of countries, you know, you see a map where it's all, all red, which I think really we should have gave the Democrats. We should have been blue. The rest around the world blue is conservative. But anyhow... If you take that data out, where they're Democrat cities with the most gun control, we have some of the most peaceful, nonviolent uh, cities in the world. And, and yet they, they, they distort, they bend the statistics through their outrageous uh, taking away guns from innocent people and allowing the criminals. The criminal's not going to say, well, I'm going to commit murder, but I better not use a gun. You know, I better follow that law. If you're committing murder, the, the, their gun laws are uh, meaningless, and and you don't ever see those statistics broken out like that. And John Lott, his God bless him. I don't know if you had it on your show, but he's just an amazing I believe guy. He, I believe he's been on. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. And the reason we perish is because we have lack of knowledge, and and they they want the society to be stupid because they want to leave them around with a ring in their nose. Well, uh, I want to just I, – I don't want to dwell on this because we are getting short on time, and I want to cover a couple of other things. I mean, obviously, this is building up to the crescendo, but uh, we mentioned the Nashville shooting. You know, again, if the principal law-abiding citizen has a gun, how many people get killed there that day? I mean, that's a question. But uh, the person who happened to be the, the shooter in that situation was a so-called trans person, and you were they won't release the full, well. yeah they won't release this full uh, manifesto by the way well uh, thanks to Stephen crowder we have uh, what snippets we've got and i don't know how two, he got two them. or they, three pages just two or three pages but you know it's interesting that law enforcement is more concerned about how Stephen crowder got that than the fact that it was yeah. you know, because if it's Somebody <laughs> motivated the shooter. Exactly, but but this was something he, that you were ahead of your time on as well. From so a this... Democrat. <laughs> 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 but you exposed the Kinsey study, which advocated for the abuse of children, and this was something that laid the groundwork for today's sexualization and mutilization of, uh, of children. And uh, this was something you were talking about in the mid uh, the mid two thousands in Congress. Well, actually, in the nineties, I talked about it, and we're on the front page of the London Times. 
And the argument was is that that was too long ago. We shouldn't talk about it, which is ironic because they're tearing down statues which were longer, long before the Kenzie study. And the thing is, is that I recommend if anybody can still get a copy of it, it's from the 90s. It's called The Children of Table 34. That is, that it, that is a total uh, explanation of why we are right today. And I tried to stop it. And I, I wanted to expose it, and I, I got attacked not just by Democrats, but by a lot of my fellow Republicans. But I never backed down, and um, to this day, I know I'm right on that issue. And if you watch that video, it's very compelling. And I, I don't know if you guys could do a, I got, uh, a show on that, but that would be really amazing. I'm certainly going to look into it. I, I saw that 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 you had written, and, and I hadn't heard of it before. I'm embarrassed to say, but we are going to look into it. He mentioned Keith. He knew he was right. What did Davy Crockett say about that? Davy Crockett said, <laughs> I leave these words for others when I'm dead. Be always sure you're right, and then go ahead. In other words, don't worry about the political fallout. Uh, but, of course, there exactly. can be some very major repercussions well, as Congressman. Well, you guys Crockett being has, from Tennessee, I got to I, I tell you the rest of the story. He said, it's basically, right. screw you guys. I'm moving to Texas. And then Tennessee says, no, the hell with you. He goes, the hell with you guys. He goes, I'm going to Texas. And then a Tennessean guy said, well, if you're going to Texas, you will be in hell. (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, you know, he's a great hero of ours here in Tennessee. And there is that Tennessee to Texas connection with Davy Crockett, who was a Western Tennessean, uh, I might add. And uh, he, of course, made his stand, a famous stand at the Alamo. Uh, what was it exactly that he said, y'all go to hell? He told the members of Con- his fellow members of Congress. Well, what it was, right. uh, the people in his he party said, this election. is disgraceful. You're, 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 yeah, right. he lost the election, and he bailed out early. And they said, uh, you need to explain yourself to the people of Tennessee why you're leaving them unrepresented. And he said, well, the reason is I'm going to Texas. And you all can go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we need more people like that. That's for sure. A a true American hero. People used to revere people like that uh, as recently as the 50s and 60s. Disney's that was who Disney was promoting, the Disney company. But anyway, we digress. Uh, So Disney. uh, 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 Steve, uh, we've got about 10 minutes remaining. Oh, ain't that the truth? I mean, he was an American hero. Yeah, a very conservative. A lot of times you. And you you think of heroes as war heroes or maybe even political heroes. Uh, you know, what was he was it? a cultural hero. He, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, yeah. he, he really was a wholesome. He was all American, all yep. Mr. Americana, uh, Walt Disney. But uh, we're, we're really running late on time here, and I've got to get to this. So we're, we're talking about your second time in office now as, as a member of Congress, the second district you've represented, nearly 20 years apart. We're, we fast forwarded now to the years of 2013 to 2015. Uh, Sandy Hook happened, also the Affordable Care Act. Now, this is key. So the first time uh, you were in office, they redrew district lines, and you ended up uh, you ended up uh, losing in, in a runoff by a couple of points. Right. This time, it the got a little more serious. So you have, yeah. Right, right. But that, that was back in the 90s. But now we're into right. the – I said mid-2000s earlier. It was the mid-2010s, I guess is what you would call it, the 20-teens. But um, you opposed the so-called Affordable Care Act and threatened to file articles of impeachment against Barack Obama in response to his executive orders to uh, restrict gun ownership. And that is when I think, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is just me as a political pundit and commentator and observer saying that 
hey, in response to that, you're threatening to file uh, articles of impeachment against Obama. We're not going to redraw his lines this time. We're just going to send him to prison. And they allege that you had violated campaign finance laws. They sentenced you, and, and, and then you, you, you get sentenced to 10 years. Uh, tell us what happened there. Well, actually, I got convicted for 283 years, and I told my wife I was only going to do half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did it compare down to 10? Well, it's because they have the sentencing guidelines and stuff, and even 10 years is a long time. I'd still be in prison if it wasn't for my wife and God and our great supporters. But he, he, he really entrapped us just like he's doing Trump. It took him four grand juries. $22 million. Uh, I mean, it, it was just horrendous. They never uh, let up. And I didn't know this until I went through the process. But they can do 100 grand juries, you know, and they, and they just improved each time. They didn't invite people back that didn't help their case. And then so they practiced. The trial was basically the fifth grand jury in a way because they, they had it so practiced down the, the art of, of deception. And, and, and Jack Smith doesn't change. If you notice on the guy that did the, the Bitcoin stuff, they drop, kept dropping charges. But if they don't like you, they start adding charges. And that's what I, I wanted to warn Trump because he had only a few charges. And I was like, no, 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 Jack Smith doesn't work like that. And then they gagged me just like they try to gag Trump. I couldn't talk about it. And uh, it was just a really unfair fight in so many ways. They denied witnesses. They didn't turn over a sculptory evidence just it goes on and on and on and, and it's uh, qu- quite well, sad it seems like you were a stalking horse for donald trump you know they, well, they basically they, were trying out everything they came against uh, him for is you and let me ask you this in light of that what have we got to look forward to in the next year oh my god what a, that's another he, hour oh i know but that, yeah that, jack, this guy has experience yeah jack smith is extremely dangerous there's Mark could tell you about how he went over to Europe right after Trump got elected. I think he was fleeing because he thought he was going to get in trouble when people started reading the stuff he did. But no one paid attention to what he was doing. And I, I, I think he's going to he, – he's a very dirty player. His wife is dear friends with Michelle Obama. In fact, his wife made a movie with Michelle. And uh, he's just an outright uh, political – I told Patty, Henry VII, which is a long time ago – had a lawyer who did the same thing for Henry VII. He prosecuted you know, individuals, and then Stalin had one guy who said, show me, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. And uh, these kind of guys are, throughout history are just really evil individuals, and he fit that category. He's an enforcer. He's dear friends with Obama. He's dear friends with uh, the former attorney general, uh, Democrat attorney general, and so – you're going to see him exercise uh, continued persecution in Trump, and we really need to orchestrate a comeback to that. And I really wanted to help Trump do that, but uh, they're not. Well, I wish they would. I, I, I tell me. you, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jack Smith, his hatchet man. You need to be Trump's hatchet. Well, man. you've got the experience. You know what Trump is facing, and I'll tell you what. I would love, Congressman. Uh, to have you back on in short order, uh, perhaps uh, right after Christmas or maybe even before then, uh, but but certainly no later than the new year to give people a, a sort of a forecast of what they're going to see next year. Totally unprecedented for the 
successor president to send his weaponized DOJ after his predecessor. Trump's facing like a, a thousand years in prison and all of that coming up next year in an, in an election year where he is currently the front runner, not just for the Republican nomination, uh, but he's beating a, a, a Biden. I was going to say Obama, oh. but what's the difference? Uh, he's beating Biden in all of these swing states as well. But so we, we'll, we'll revisit that. But uh, so here's the thing. Two terms in Congress in the mid 90s and in the mid 2010s or 20 teens. First time they redraw your district, second time they put you in prison. Uh, Trump <laughs> commuted your sentence in December of 2020. That's less than a month before Biden's inauguration. You get your, your sentence commuted by President Trump, uh, and thank God for that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking tonight. But I got to ask you this. Um, you know, we were talking earlier today about our mutual friend, Steve King, and uh, you probably know him better than I, but he's been on our show several times, and I consider him at this point a friend, and he made his first appearance a year ago this week in uh, November of 2020, and he, he was most recently on last month. But he told me, and he broke down for the audience, how we never seem to get anywhere with elected officials. And people always say, well, we, we try to vote right and we send these people into Congress that we think are going to represent us and it never seems to work out. And he laid down exactly what happens when you go to Congress. And, um, I, you know, you went to prison, Trafficant went to prison and then ended up uh, running over yeah. himself while he was mowing the grass on his own tractor by himself. I mean, so it could have been worse. Sonny Bono ran into a tree and died, but... Uh, I guess that was on the table as well. But uh, the the uh, with two minutes remaining, what could you tell us about the the sort of uh, obstacles people who want to do the right thing face when they get elected to Congress? Because you sure ran up against it. Well, I, I think, well, there's two things. Uh, one, I think you need to recruit activists and, uh, and then defend them. Karl Rove, anytime an activist uh, gets you know, the nomination, he actually undermines them and takes their money and trashes them and everything. He, he, he has a loyalty to Bush and to, uh, what's his name in Kentucky McConnell. And, and he just, he undermines our candidates and he has great stroke at Fox news. And it's really alarming how much power he has, but I would recommend we just flood the zone and keep getting activists elected. This is what the Democrats do. You you look through all that? the Democrats, huh? What I, what Go I was going to say is, what about that law that they had back in the '90s? I believe it was that was proposed, or uh, seconds where, remaining, where the uh, government would finance everybody's uh, campaign and there wouldn't be private financing. Would that have been a good idea? That's would an that idiotic thing. That means that that means the government would make the decisions, and government is horrible at making decisions. We love you guys. Keep keep up the great work. You guys are awesome. You're a light in the dark. Hey, listen, I thought I liked you uh, an hour ago, but I like you a lot more now. And th that was a fantastic interview. I, I have to apologize to a friend of mine. I told him I would ask you about your Obama barf bag campaign swag that you had. Also, this clever newspaper that was a campaign mailer. We'll do that next time. I promise you All we'll right. do that next time with Congressman Steve Stockman.